Hi everyone and welcome to the Spencer Lodge podcast and boy have I got a guest for you today. Do you want to know how to get better? Do you want to know how to improve? Do you want to know how to get your mind in the right place? Do you want to know how to be the perfect version of yourself? Well if you do, listen up. Cue the music. So I am super excited to have the awesome Dr. John Martini. Yeah! It's been a while trying to get him on the show, so let me give you a bit of a rundown as to what this guy is all about. Okay, he's a world-renowned specialist in human behavior and personal development. He's a founder of the Martini Institute, a private research and education organization with a curriculum of over 72 courses. He's beating me. Okay, covering multiple aspects of human development. Globally, he's worked with individuals across all markets, sectors, age groups, including government leaders, entrepreneurs, financiers, psychologists, health professionals, teachers, and young adults assisting and guiding them to greater levels of achievement, fulfillment, and empowerment in all areas of life. He's an author of over 40 books. Okay, how bad is that? Okay, and manuscripts and, and as acclaimed, uh, one of the big ones, okay, is called The Breakthrough Experience. He's been translated into over 29 languages. That gives you an idea about how successful he is. He experienced homelessness when he was a young boy. He lived on the streets of Texas and Hawaii before going on to become a multi-millionaire. He's featured guest in the movie The Secret. If you haven't seen it, then you should. And if you have, you know exactly who he is. Okay, and John teaches that there are seven areas of life, spiritual, mental, vocational, financial, familial, okay, social, and physical. He says if we do not empower each of those areas of, of life, someone else will overpower them. Interesting. Let's get him on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. John Martini. Yeah! <laughs> Well, believe it or not, you're here on the show. You know, it's taken me a while to get you. I met you last summer when I hosted an event in London. We had various speakers there. But I tell you what, that audience were waiting for two days for you to get up on stage and share your magic. You seem to have touched so many people around the world. How does it feel to have that kind of impact on people? Well, I, I don't know how much impact I have. I, it, it, it seems like I get a lot of thank you letters. So I love making a difference. And um, that's been my dream since I was 17. So I'm almost 66. So I've been doing it a long time, 47 plus almost 48 years. So I, 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 I'm very grateful for the opportunity to have people that will listen to me <laughs> and to be able to, uh, to share what's in my heart that, I, that I, I believe will make a difference in their lives. And so anytime I have somebody that's willing to go and apply it and do something with their lives, it's always inspiring. You've, you, you, I remember when I saw you last year, you were talking about how many events you'd done and you'd done more events that year than there were already days in the year, sometimes two events a day. Where do you, where, number one, where do you get your energy from? And number two, do you still have the, do you get the same kind of like bars, energy feeling from getting up there and, and trying to uh, teach people the way that you do each time you go on stage? Or, or does it ever become a little tiring? No, I, I love doing what I'm doing. I, I can't think of anything else I'd rather be doing. So I've been doing it a lot. <laughs> I've been speaking. The most I've spoken in a year is 420 uh, six speeches. That's 426 in one year. Um, I did seven in one day in Chicago. Never. Seven different programs starting at 630 in the morning, another one at eight, another one at nine, another one at 11, one o'clock, four o'clock, uh, all the way into the evening. Finished at 11 o'clock. It was a fantastic day. Seven different locations, 
from politics to religion to educational systems, corporate to public uh, program. So no, I I do, you know, 300, on average 300 to 350 speeches a year, sometimes 350 to 400. I've been doing a long time and I'm just as inspired today as I was when I started. In fact, I'm more inspired today than ever because I'm constantly learning and constantly feeding my mind with new information that I can't wait to share. So no, I don't, I don't get tired of it. I, I don't, I have a full on schedule. Uh, I, uh, this week I'll start at two o'clock in the morning and go till four in the afternoon uh, for the week. And then I, so the other day I started at 5 PM and went to 7 AM because in different countries at different time zone, it, it's probably nicer if I can come in on their time zone sometimes. Mm. So I just do it. I just, what I love doing It's what I do every day. I research, ride, travel, teach every day. Najahi, which is an events organizer here, you did something for them not too long ago here in Dubai. Um, I think alongside maybe Lisa Nichols and somebody else when you were doing a masterclass not too long ago. And you are really well known here. I've been talking to people that I know here in Dubai over the course of the last few weeks about you. And as soon as I say your name, it's like, oh, I know, I know, I know, I know Dr. John, I know Dr. John. It's really great that you've got, you know, the, the ability to impact so many people around the world. And if I'm correct in this, have you been able to work with or influence or touch somebody from every country on the planet so far in your life? In 2016, I had a dream in 1982, um, at two in the morning, I remember, um, that kind of a vision that I would have students from every country on the face of the earth. That was a vision and a dream at two in the morning meditating. And that was 1982. So in, two, in 2016, now because of the internet we have students documented from every country on earth so we've we've got there's 220 countries we've got students from every country now so that was a dream to get to have somebody in every country to do that but i do a lot of radio television newspaper magazines movies 42 movies now and and we constantly are doing media networking i think i spoke to four million people yesterday so i'm constantly getting out and you know, doing something somewhere on some shows to uh, reach people. And so, yeah, that was my dream to have students. I wanted to go and speak in every country. I've been to 154 countries speaking. I've done my signature program, The Breakthrough Experience, in 65. But I still got about another 60 countries to get to actually go to. And I still haven't done that. So, you know, we're still working on it. Do you, do you make it kind of like a beeline for those countries that you, you haven't been to yet? Uh, do you say whenever an opportunity comes up with one of those countries, no matter how busy you're scheduling, do you try and get that fit in? If it's doable, I mean, I will, I will speak, finish at seven o'clock at night, get on a flight and speak at eight o'clock the next morning across the world somewhere. That's not uncommon. So I don't care if I, if I can tick off another country that I set my goal to do because that was my dream was to do that when I was 17, 18. So I'm, I'm still working on that. So I, I had a, a dream to do that. I'm, so, but with internet, now we reach every country. Yeah. So now I'm going to every country around the world. We had 12,000 people on uh, this morning from all over the world. So um, I just finished that before I got on here. So, so I'm constantly uh, trying to reach uh, people with a message i always say i'm a man on a mission with a message so you you mentioned two words just a minute ago you mentioned the word goal and the word dream and obviously uh 
we start off with a dream and then we have to convert it into some form of practical structure to create a goal. And I'm, I'm like a, a really big believer in goals. As, as a youngster, I was a, a fan of Tony Robbins and Zig Ziglar and Jim Rowan. These are the people whose content I consumed. I remember literally begging my mum to be able to afford, because they were very expensive in the olden days, those plastic folders with the cassette tapes in and the manuals. And, I, and, and back in those days, that, that was just a lot of money. And my mum's like, what? You know, it's like, I don't know what it was, but maybe 199 pounds back in the 80s was, and it was just a lot of money. And so I, I used to consume this type of content a lot. And and and, and while they all had different stories to tell, I, I would soak it up, embrace it. And for me, goal setting was really important. But more important than goal setting was repetition. And I, I find a lot of people, and I, and I work with lots of businesses here, lots of entrepreneurs, people that are, that, that, are, that, are, that are in exciting industries, as well as people that are in really challenged industries, particularly right now. And people don't seem to get, really get, the whole aspect of goal setting the right way. They, they kind of, and I did a session today in South Africa in Cape Town. I did it, I mean, I had a group of about 100 people there and we, we were talking about it and we went into detail about their goals and the 99% of them, they actually were wishes. They, they, they were really would like, you know, I really would like, you know, I really want it, you know, I really, really want it, but they hadn't, they hadn't put enough meat on the bone. What kind of advice do you give? What kind of teachings do you have around that? Because I know there's something that you talk about. Every human being has a set of priorities, a set of values that they live their life by. Things that are most to least important. Whenever you set a goal that is aligned and congruent and integral with the highest value, you have the highest probability of pursuing it spontaneously with discipline, reliability, and focus. And anytime you're setting goals that are lower on your values, you have the higher probability of procrastinating, hesitating, and frustrating in the pursuit. And whenever you're in your setting goals that are higher on your values, the blood glucose and oxygen goes into the forebrain, and the forebrain sees a vision. It goes to V5, V6 in the cortex. It strategically plans and mitigates risks. It wants to execute the plan, and it has self-governance to not be distracted by impulses and instincts of pleasures and pains that normally distract, occupy our mind. So if we set a goal that's congruent with our highest values, we have a higher probability of achieving. We also, in that pathway, are more objective and set goals that are really more strategically planned. And we've already thought out what are the obstacles and how do we solve in advance and mitigate the risk with strategic planning. But if we go down and set a goal that's lower on our values, the blood glucose noxin goes into the amygdala, which is a subcortical area of the brain, which is a desire center. And there we have an animal behavior of wanting to avoid a pain and seek a pleasure, avoid a predator, seek a prey, avoid a challenge, seek an ease. And so we tend to want to set goals that aren't really goals, they're fantasies. And fantasies are a pleasure without a pain, a positive without a negative. And we become blindsided by the opposite side, which becomes distress instead of pursuing something that is objective, that is use stress, which is wellness promoting. So it's so important to set a goal that is truly congruent with what you really value. Because so many people say, I want to be financially independent. They'll say that. I mean, I've stood in front of thousands of people and said, how many want to be financially independent? And they'll roar with their hands up. Hey, everybody. Yeah, everybody put their hands up. I said, well, how many of you are financially independent? Well, your, active in your passive income is exceeding your active income. And all the hands go down. 
One time I had 5,000 people, only seven people had their hand up. So there's a lot of hope to bees. And I, uh, I said, if you have a higher value on buying consumables that depreciate in value, and you want immediate gratification, and you want the fix now, instead of buying long-term assets with patient and long-term vision that so it can compound and grow for you and build a con you know, constant stream of income that's passive, then the, the probability of being financially independent is very low. So you have to have truly a value on wealth building, not a fantasy. You have to have truly a value on the asset accumulation and the dedication to service and a portion of it to be efficient in business and be able to make sure you're saving it and investing it and actually structure it and have a true value on serving and helping people and saving it and building it. If you don't have that, then you're going to set up a fantasy and the fantasies create nightmares because you don't stay with it. You don't focus on it long enough. You don't stay with the actions. And many people have fantasies and they confuse us with goals. Like you say, they're wishes instead of actually commitments. And you're only committed to the fulfillment of what you value most. My highest value is researching and teaching. There is not a moment, if I'm not teaching, I'm researching. It's just spontaneous. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get distracted from those two things. And I've been doing that 47 years. So, so setting a goal that's there, I have the highest probability of walking my talk, exemplifying what's possible, waking up my natural born leader, expanding my space and time horizons, and giving myself permission to excel in that area. But if I set a goal to open up a cupcake manufacturing and delivery company, when I haven't driven a car in 32 years, and I haven't cooked in, since I was 24, that's so low on my values. I, I learned a long time ago, anything that's low on your values, delegate. Anything that's high on your values, do it. But then isn't there, if you, because let's talk about this for a second, it's quite interesting to me. When you talk about your highest values, and then you, we talked about wealth management as the example there, how, do you think society has been fed um, an enormous amount of information around get rich quick over the course of the last 20 years. Now, whether that be from the rock star unicorn makers of the social media world or the, the Ubers, etc., or whether that be from the temptation from the guy that wants to lose weight, okay, that literally is surrounded by whatever you can consider has got, has got sugar in, basically, from what I can see. Whether, there's, only, there's only cauliflower in my house that doesn't have sugar in. So the temptation's there. Society is telling us an, an enormous amount that you can have massive success. You can invest in a business and you, it can be, you know, this, this Nasdaq-quoted company that rockets. You know, you can create music and you can be a famous rock star very quickly. Now, I know that is a lot for a lot of these companies that go on behind the scenes, but... Do you think that we just fed a lot of that, which, which sways us from our, our, our higher values? And that's a really difficult thing to manage. Conformity to the herd is almost guaranteed mediocrity. There's very few people that become the great Nobel Prize winners, the great Olympic medalists, the great rock stars or whatever. So if you don't really have a high value on something and you're going to pursue it, you're probably going to peter out on your intent. I always say start goals on things that you show in your life that you're committed to, that your life demonstrates. If your life's not demonstrating something and you say, I want to do that, and you have no demonstrations of it. I worked with a famous singer and actress the other day. And um, she started when she was four. She's now 48. And she's amazing. She's polished. She's professional. 
she's put in 48,000 hours, <laughs> 48,000 hours into the project. Not 10,000, 48,000. When you really, 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 really are committed to something, you're doing it. There is no option. There is no turning back. There's no, I think I'll try this out. It's what you're called to do. I tell people, don't waste your time on things that aren't really truly valuable to you because you'll confuse a fantasy with a real objective. And a goal that's not a real objective is self-defeating. And something that's not really committed. When I was 18 years old, after coming back from Hawaii, I was a high school dropout. I left school and I was a street kid. When I came back from Hawaii and, and I tried to go back to take a GED and a college entrance and try to go back and try to learn, first learn how to read, I failed at first. And I, I made a commitment after my first real failing, because I thought maybe I'll never be able to read. I, I remember sitting there really crying and really being distraught. And my mom said to me, son, uh, what happened? I said, I, I blew the test, I bombed the test. I failed. I guess I'll never be able to read or write or communicate, never mouth thing, never go very far in life, because that's what I was told in first grade. And I, did, I couldn't read. I was 18 when I first read. And I, and I told her, I said, I, I failed it. And she said to me something that changed my life. She said, son, whether you become a great teacher, healer, philosopher, traveling the world like you dream, whether you return to Hawaii and ride giant waves like you've done, because I rode big waves back in the 60s, 70s, or whether you return to the streets and panhandle as a bum, because I was a street kid. I just want to let you know that your father and I are going to love you no matter what. And that moment of unconditional love made my hand go into a fist, and I looked up, and I said to myself, I'm going to master this thing called teaching and speaking. I'm going to master this thing called reading and learning. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to travel whatever distance. I'm going to pay whatever price to give my service of love across this planet. I'm not going to let any human being on the face of the planet, not even myself, interfere with that. And I was, there was no turning back at that moment. There is no option. It's now forward. And I hugged my mom. I went into my room. I got a dictionary out. And I started reading literally 30 words a day, memorizing them, spelling them, using them in a sentence, getting their meeting. And I grew my vocabulary 30 words a day, every single day. So that dictionary was in my head. And I then started to excel. And then I started reading 18 to 20 hours a day to try to catch up with everybody else and try to learn. And I wanted to learn the greatest ideas. I asked my mom on my 19th birthday, she, she said, what do I want for my birthday? I said, I want the greatest teachings on the face of the earth by the greatest minds who ever lived from around the world. I don't want anything else. That's all I want, whatever it takes to get that. Well, my uncle, her brother, who was a professor at MIT, who was a physicist and chemist, sent two giant six by six by six foot wooden crates to my home. They came down off a flatbed truck on the ground. I opened them up with a crowbar and I brought thousands of books into my room. And I sat for 18 hours to 20 hours a day, reading and reading and reading and reading and envisioning myself taking this information and sharing it in some productive way that can make a difference in somebody's lives. And I've been on a relentless pursuit of that mission, 47 now, 48 years. So when you find that, there's no option, you're gonna achieve it. But if you're sitting there wishy-washy going, I want to be financially independent, but you keep buying consumables that depreciate and keep buying things that go down in value instead of buying assets, you don't really have a serious ambition. There are 10 questions that I've found that if a person wants to be financially independent, they need to know. If they don't know this, they're not having any intention of being financially independent. 
What exactly are your total assets? What exactly are your total liabilities? What is your current net worth? How much do you actually want to live on annually, really truthfully annually? What exactly is the average interest rate you can earn on all the investment with your knowledge today and what you think you'll be able to do? What's the average? What is the average inflation rate you're up against? What is the total net worth you must have at that interest rate, at that inflation rate to give you that amount you want per year? What exactly is the shortfall between your current net worth and that net worth? How much time do you think it's going to take to get that new net worth, factoring in inflation? And what's your strategy on how to get there? And how do you do it incrementally with an acceleration to get there in a shorter period of time? If you don't know those questions, you really don't have an intention of being financially independent. Because if you don't know where you're going, you don't know where you're starting, and you don't know how you're going to get there, it's not going to happen. It's like getting in an Uber without a starting point and an end point. So people live in fantasies, and they're fed fantasies. They're fed the lifestyles of the rich and famous. They're fed the opiums of the masses. They're fed the fantasies of these people that are that around them. But we're not here to compare ourselves to other people. We're here to compare our own daily actions to our own dreams. That's the key. And if we're setting objectives that are truly congruent, truly deeply meaningful, that truly are inspired intrinsically from within, we have the highest probability of not letting anything on the outside interfere with the dream on the inside. Okay, so I've got, that's brilliant. So I've got a friend called Maria Conciasau. She's a, a lady, she comes from Portugal. She had a tough upbringing over there, um, was adopted, and then, believe it or not, I'll, I'll give it a quick rundown, okay? She was a cleaner, okay, in a house cleaner in Portugal. And she said, if I'm going to be a cleaner, I'm going to be the Ronaldo of cleaners, okay? She then moved across to Switzerland to be a housekeeper, she was hit by a car in a car accident. She was living in Switzerland illegally. She went to the UK, was a cleaner there. She saw an advert for Emirates Airlines cabin crew. She said, I'll never get it, but I'm going to apply. She applied for the job and she got the job. She came over here to Dubai, did her training. Her first flight was to Bangladesh, to Dakar, to the slums. Well, not to the slums, but to Dakar. She spent two days there and wandered around the slums. And she was very deeply moved by what was happening with young children living difficult in situations, uh, being sexually abused and stuff like that. So she flew back to Dubai, sold her possessions and flew back to Dakar. And she tried to give some money to help these people. And she said, I promise you I will help. And she promised to help 100, 100 people there. Now, Maria is five foot two, okay, not sporty or anything at all. So she goes on to Google and she's like, right, how do I raise money for charity? And she Googles and it says, climb Everest. She's never done anything like this in her life. And what does she do? She climbs Everest. She has since got eight Guinness World Records and she has one purpose and one purpose only, and that's to get those kids an education and out of that environment that they're in. And she's now taken 600 children, got them internationally educated. She's had four go through Harvard recently as well, all because, just to your point, she is on a mission. She knows exactly what she has to achieve. There is nothing that can get in her way. And, and I do quite a bit of climbing and sports and stuff like that. And when I talk to her, she says, I said, how do you get your head around climbing the seven summits? How do you get your head around never climbing before on the first mountain you climb Everest? And she says, well, with, with respect, Spencer, she's like, I, the, 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 it's, just, it's just a mountain. 
And it, to me, she's one of the most successful people I know on the planet. I am massively inspired by her. But she found her purpose. She found her mission. You, you clearly, that experience for you helped you find your mission. Lots of people haven't yet, okay? And probably ask the question, how do I? Your highest value is your mission. But do people, how do people find their highest value if they're sat there right now watching this? Right now, you, you, if you go by what you think and what you, what you believe is your highest value, you'll say bullshit to yourself. Excuse the expression. Yeah, yeah. You'll just tell yourself bull. I've been doing value determinations for 42 years. I've watched the, the, the lies people give themselves. You can't go by what people say. You have to go by what they live. So I look at how they fill their space. Because things that are really valuable to them, they keep close to them. I look at how they spend their time. They find time, make time, spend time on things that are valuable to them. I look at what energizes them. Because there's more enthusiasm and inspiration when they're doing something high in their values than it's drained when they're not. I look at what they spend their money on. They make money, find money, spend money on things that are valuable to them. I look at where they're organized. Things that are high in their values are organized. Things that are low in their values, they don't get around to fix them. Organized. I look at what they're disciplined spontaneously, what they can't wait to get up in the morning and do that nobody ever has to remind them to do. No extrinsic value is needed. No motivation, no incentives. If you need motivation, you've lost your mission. Motivation is a symptom of problems. It's a sewer of problems compared to inspiration. Intrinsic drive. And I, I make that clear to people because if you're, I don't need motivation to do what I do. I haven't needed motivation in 47 years to do what I do. You might need motivation to get me to do something low in my values, but I delegate that. I delegate everything other than what's highest because I don't want to fill my life with an uninspired life. Then you look at exactly what do you think about, what do you visualize, and what are you internally dialoguing about how you would love your life that actually shows evidence of coming true, not fantasies. I could say, though, I haven't visualized, I want to be like Hugh Hefner and be an international sex symbol. Yeah, sure. There's no evidence, zero evidence of that. <laughs> but there is evidence that I'm a researcher and teacher. And my life demonstrates that. And I do it every day. And nobody has to remind me to do that. So finding out what you visualize and think about and internally dialogue about how you want your life that shows evidence coming true is one. Then you look at also, what do you want to converse with other people about? What do you want to talk about? What do you keep bringing the conversations to? Because that tells you what you're valuing. How's your kids? How's your business? How's your investments? How's your workout? That tells you what you value. Because people always want to bring up what's most important to them. Then I look at what inspires them and what's common to the people who inspire them. Anybody that's done something that you were inspired by, there's a common thread to it. What is that? They've overcome obstacles and they've beat, beat the odds. How, what is it that's common to them? Find out what that is. Mine has been all the great philosophers and all the Nobel Prize winners and all the great thinkers. They're the ones that have inspired me. So it's obvious that's the path I want to be. I want to be one of those great minds. Then I look at what exactly is the, the three most consistent, persistent goals that you have set that are coming true, they're in motion, you're building momentum on them that nothing can stop you on. And then what do you spontaneously want to learn about, read about, study about, look at YouTube about? If I go by those 13 value determinants, I will get a really objective view of what your life is showing it's important, not what you think it is, because it's rarely that. It's what your life demonstrates. Once we find out what that is and prioritize that and get it down to the top one or two, your mission and your identity revolves around the top one. I guarantee I've taken 100,000 people through that at least just in the breakthrough experience and proven that to them. And once they know what that is, they know what to structure their life around. And once they find out what they're inspired and can't wait to get up in the morning and do, and then find out where it overlaps, some service, a great problem, a great issue, a great 
cause that they can put their, they sink their teeth into that inspires, that solves problems for people. They find their niche and then they're on fire. And that lady found her niche when she went to Bangladesh. She saw her niche, she goes, I can do something, got to her heart. And she probably came from challenging situations and she saw that I could make a difference here. And people always wanna go where they make the biggest difference to give them the greatest meaning. Their path, your purpose is the most efficient and effective path way to fulfill the greatest amount of voids in your life with the greatest amount of value that serves people in a way that brings meaning and that has sustainable fair exchange with equity with people. And that's the most sustaining purpose a person can follow. So what about those people then that are midway through their life and they haven't found it? They're sitting in a situation where they, they genuinely haven't found that yet. And or, or the ones that then do find it, but they have other responsibilities in their life now. There's commitments to children and mortgages and all this kind of stuff. And the, these things, <clears throat> what their true purpose is, they can't see how it can create um, a revenue stream to cover the bills or whatever it may be. What, what, what do they do? <clears throat> okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a wild story. You're going to get a kick out of this. <laughs> I had a lady that came to Breakthrough Experience. 25 years ago. And I asked her seven questions. What is it you would absolutely love to do in life? How do you get handsomely and beautifully paid to do it? What are the seven highest priority action steps you can do today to move you in that direction to make it happen? What obstacles might you run into and how do you solve them in advance? What worked and what didn't work today? How do I do it more effectively and efficiently tomorrow? And how did whatever I experienced today, whether supportive or challenging, how is it helping me move one step closer to the fulfillment of what my, my vision is? So I made her put on the spot. I said, what is it you'd absolutely love to do? She's sitting in the front row of my seminar. What would you absolutely love to do? She's late 20s, young lady. And she goes, uh, put her on the spot. What would you absolutely love to do? I love spending time on my dog. Great. Write it down. How can you get handsomely and beautifully paid to do that? And she goes, I have no idea. I said, how can you get handsomely be, be accountable and answer the question. How can you get handsomely beautifully paid to do it? If I told you I'm gonna give you a billion dollars cash if you came up with a solution to get paid to be with your dog, would you pass up the billion dollar attempt? Would you stop looking or would you look and come up with something creative? Okay, and then she said, my, my dog is really cute. Everybody wants to take pictures of my dog. I'd charge for, turn him into a model. That's what she came with. I said, great. What are the highest priority actions you could do right now to make that happen? And she started getting creative. And I made her go through that whole thing. That was Sunday at the end of a breakthrough experience, Sunday afternoon, evening. On Monday, she decided to go for a walk. She lived in New York. She walked into Central Park along the avenue where the philosopher's walkway is, with the little benches on the side of the trees. I know, yeah. And she goes down to where the fountain is, and she goes there where the little lake is, nearby the fountain, with the steps. Yeah. So she goes down there with a dog, but this time when she goes down with a dog, when somebody comes up and asks for a picture, this is before they had iPhones. This is when people actually had cameras. Okay. And they say, well, can I get a picture of your, your dog? Yes, but I'm the agent, it's $5. She never asked that before. She asked for $5, she made $5. First day she walked back with the dog, she said, well, you made five bucks, you paid for your keep today. And she came back. Because she started moving in the direction of something that she loved doing, she came home that night and she started rummaging through the, you know, rummaging through the closet and she found some red elastic um, material 
and she cut it out and sewed the ends of it into a tube and stuck the dog in this tube from to legs to arms. And then she got some sunglasses, put elastic strip on and put sunglasses on him and taught him how to walk on his hind feet a little bit better. And the following day she went in there, she made 15 bucks because she walked a dog with a red suit on and people go, I got to take a picture of that. Oh, I'm sorry, but it's five bucks. She made 15. Then she got more creative and she started making outfits for this dog. Okay. Now, when she went and started making outfits for the dog, people started wanting more pictures. So she started getting creative because she knew how to sew some things and she started creating things. If you look on, on, um, online, you'll see a lady named Karen Beal, K-A-R-E-N-B-I-A-H-L, B-I-E-H-L. So, yeah, so her name is Karen Beal. So she went in there and she started putting outfits on and that thing climbed up to $125, five bucks a shot. People were lining up to get pictures. She made a Pope outfit for the dog made a tuxedo for the dog and started making and walked around. Everybody had to get a picture. They just come flocking around. I got to get a, it's five bucks. And I, and she made a card with a thing on there. I'm his agent. He's a model sunglasses, the whole thing, made sure he pranced around. A guy was watching her laughing his butt off, watching what she was doing, making now money off her dog. She doesn't need a husband. She's got a dog making her money. It doesn't do anything except bow wow. And it's unconditional loving. So she ends up having a guy come up to him and says, here's my card. I'm involved in commercials. And I think your dog could be a great mascot for a commercial. So then she negotiated and he became the milk bone dog biscuit mascot for $2.2 million. He became an she got three major deals with, with the commercials, three major ones. She was in competition with Gidget, who is the Taco Bell dog. This is, a, this is a chihuahua. Then she ended up having three television shows, Moms and Dogs, that came online. Anyway, she retired. That dog lasted seven more years. She got another dog that looked identical, carried that for eight years, got another dog. For 21 years, that dog became one of the most famous dogs in New York and around the world. You can look him up. His name is Eli. But she ended up starting with that one little process, and they ended up retiring four years ago with 25 million, $25 million from a dog. Now, she then finally met a man and she says, I'm retiring Eli. She sent me a letter thanking me. She, she gave me letters about every quarter. She said, I'm finally retiring. I found a man. I'm, I'm ready for a man. The dog has been my life all these years. I made a fortune of it. Thank you for that. Eli's you know, been part of my life. So I'm just saying that I don't care what it is that you're inspired by. If you ask the right questions, you can turn it into a fortune because it's how you present it, which meets people's needs. And everybody, there's somebody out there that you're, what you're inspired by, the way the universe is set up, whatever you're inspired by, there's a need for it. It's just how you package it, how you present it, how you present it into a way where people are wanting to buy it. Once you find your niche, it's a cinch. Okay, that's, okay, that's really interesting actually, because what you're talking about, and thank you for that awesome story. Okay, that my, my videographer here is from California. <laughs> he knows exactly who you're talking about right now. Anyway, so let's just, let's just talk about that, okay? Because when you find, you're finding your purpose, you're finding your passion, how you package it, okay, to, and, 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 and deliver it to people that need it. That, that, is a, that in itself is quite a challenge for a lot of people, isn't it? Are there, are there steps involved in this? You got to realize, and I'm going to make a statement that's going to offend some people. Do, do it, do it. If you're poor, it's because you don't care about humanity. 
elaborate. If you cared about humanity, you would go up to people, find out what the greatest needs are in society, and directly or indirectly find a way of serving those needs. Okay, so let, this is quite an interesting thing. So years, for years and years, I was a financial advisor. All right, so you, you talked about wealth earlier. It was quite interesting. I was a financial advisor, and I was a very passionate financial advisor. And the reason I was is that I, I believed passionately that people that don't get financial advice invariably end up broke. They get to retirement age, they don't have enough money to live a nice retirement, yet they've worked for 30 or 40 years of their life. And I couldn't get my head around why anybody would want to do that. My brain couldn't process why anybody would want to retire without enough money to live for another 30 years and have an illusion of the fact that maybe they could continue working or something. And I also could not get my head around how a man could get married and have kids and not want to protect his family with life insurance. And so it, I, I saw myself as what I regarded as the fifth emergency service. So obviously fire, ambulance, police, automobile association, and then financial advice, because most people were going to mess up a big part of their lives unless they did the right thing. Now, I know a lot of people could say, oh, well, you know, you've only got to go to uh, back then. What was it? Um, uh, TD Waterhouse or, or go and get a Vanguard ETF or whatever it may be. OK, sit your, stick your money in a tracker fund. But the statistics showed that most people didn't do that even if they could. And when before, and I was doing this before the internet surfaced. And so people had nowhere to get this information from. It was, there wasn't a Bloomberg or a CNBC channel. It was the, it was the BBC World News, the Wall Street Journal and the Financial Times. And so when the internet came about, everybody was bombarded with information and they, they, they then became uneducated and then they became too much information, which just it caused a cloud in their mind because it's a subject matter that people don't really like to spend a lot of time thinking about or talking about or studying in most cases. So I became very, very passionate about it, like really passionate about it. And so when I met people that, that would, wouldn't, hadn't got financial advice or hadn't made, made decisions, I would say controversial things. So I don't know, um, I'd, see, I'd meet a 40-year-old man that hadn't protected his wife and family for the future and, and, and hadn't prepared for his retirement in the future and hadn't started saving. And I would say, look, you've got no money for your retirement. What are you going to do about it? Oh, I'll get around to it eventually. Okay. Have you told your wife you've messed up your finances? Because someone needs to tell her. And so coming at it from that, that place of passion, there was, there was never for me ever any doubt that I was doing anything but the absolutely the right thing. When you talk about the motivation, totally motivated every day. You didn't need to wake me up. Okay, I got up, okay, and I, and, I, and I lived that and I behaved like that. And all of the people that I trained in the industry, same thing was like, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't take financial planning seriously yourself, then it doesn't really matter to you, Okay. If you're not doing something that you're really inspired by, you're, you're, you're not going to have an inspired life. It's as simple as that. And you know the facts, what you just said, that most people don't have a value on wealth building. They have a value on immediate gratifying consumable purchases. And they want to live vicariously through other people's brands instead of build their own brand. Now, let's talk about entrepreneurs for a second here, because you speak to a lot of solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, I, I call them wantrepreneurs, people that want to have this kind of build their own business, be successful on their own. They've been sold the story that if you work for somebody else, you're building their business. Yeah, I don't believe that most people are made, okay, or have the required amount of passion, dedication, etc., to become successful entrepreneurs, 
why why does that message not seem to get through to most people what 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 kind of romance is going on in people's minds to think that there is a way of making a fortune building a successful business okay and it working every time because the stats you know and i know show that most people fail i boil it down to human values i've been studying it 42 years and lecturing on it for 42 years as long as you compare yourself to somebody else and put them above you and minimize yourself, you're going to inject their values into your life and cloud the clarity of your own highest value and lose sight of your mission. And it is only in the highest values where you excel. And when you say you're going to do something, you do it and you build momentum and you gain entrepreneurial spirit. So anytime you're living, subordinating to other people, Freud called it the superego, the shoulds, the ought to, supposed to, the got to's, the have to's, the must, from the mother, the father, the preacher, the teacher, the convention, tradition, and mores of society, and conforming and subordinating it and living in the shadows of people. As long as you do, you won't access what's inside you. I'm absolutely certain that people have inside them the entrepreneur, but it's dormant because of subordination. The second I help them find out what their highest value is and show them a strategy on how to make more income than what they can do with less risk, they're on it. But if they don't, if they don't know how to do it, because when the why is big enough, the house take care of themselves. When the why is big enough, you'll do something. Yes. You'll do something. You got a big enough reason for doing it. But the why is only big enough in your highest value. That's where the why is. That is the why. That's the why axis. McGregor said in the 1960s that people are either intrinsically motivated or intrinsically called or extrinsically motivated. The people that are extrinsically motivated, you have to push them uphill. You have to micromanage them. You have to give them incentives. You got to motivate them constantly because they're not engaged because you you hired somebody that wasn't really inspired by the job description and it doesn't link to what they value most so they're having to micromanage those people but you find somebody that really has a congruency between what they do every day and what they what's really meaningful to them and they'll be spontaneously inspired they'll be innovative creative they'll take they'll they'll understand risk rewards and they'll be resilient and adaptable to take on whatever it takes to get some outcome everybody has that within them most people don't find it. But my job is to educate as many people as I can on that. So transforming the ratios of those people that are doing it. And I'm absolutely certain I can take 100 people and I can show them in a period of time, I can show them how to access that. And they'll all of a sudden, they'll start waking up their entrepreneurial spirit and they'll be able to do things. So it's not it's not, not there. It's that it's dormant. And you got to realize that in school, the educational system isn't designed to make you a leader. It's designed to make you a drone. There's no classes on how to be a millionaire in high school. There's no classes on how to open up your own entrepreneurial business in high school. What they're doing is creating you a debt slavery, getting on fraction reserve, banking mortgages, car um, uh, payments, uh, credit card payments. They're getting you into the suburbs to be one of the people that work for the people that are the entrepreneurs. So the entire educational system, if you're not out of that construct and into something that's actually entrepreneurial, you probably aren't even gonna be aware of it. You don't even know you have the access and capabilities of going and doing something extraordinary with your life. It's not in your thinking process. You're designed to be a drone. Well, recently, an interesting statistic around this kind of stuff, this kind of calling where, where, where we saw in the United States during the lockdown that historically less than 5% of income is saved. And people have been spend, spend, spend for 50 years plus in the United States. Yeah, over lockdown, savings went up out of revenue or income or furloughed income to 33%. 
which is is the highest it's been in in forever okay for people to start saving there there clearly was something that created enough of an impact on everybody's minds both consciously and subconsciously i would even argue okay for people to say we have to do something about this because of the place they were in because of the the greatest fear they then they had was being broke wasn't it great i think i i've been telling people for 38 years to have a cash reserve of at least six months worth of capital waste. Me too. Six months disposable income. Bill Gates, Bill Gates keep a year's worth of capital. I always keep lots of capital. I don't ever want to be sleeping and anxious about sleeping at night. But what I did is I forced my savings. I don't allow emotions to enter. Emotions destroy wealth building and strategies build it. So I did an automated accelerated savings until I had my cushion, then automated accelerated investment technique, where I did it automated electronically, weekly. So money was going, and I increased it 10% every quarter. Whatever I was saving 10%, it just automated. I signed an agreement with Schwab, discount broker, and it kept my prices down low. All my turnover costs, everything, I kept it low. And I just said, I want you to increase my savings 10% every quarter. Well, it went from 1,000 to 2,000 to 4,000 to 8,000, to 16,000, 32,000, 62,000, 64,000, 128,000, 256,000 a month. Because I just kept following a strategy and didn't let my emotions interfere with it. And said, I wanna, every single day I wanna go, what is the highest priority thing I can do to serve the greatest number of people today and just go out and do and fulfill my mission? If I focus on this and this is electronically done, I'm on my way. And it was done, there was no emotion, no, no, uh, it's just methodical, consistent accelerated wealth building you didn't even have you, you you automated it so you didn't even have to think about it i didn't think about it i just focused on serving and so i i love researching and teaching so i just focused on what i did most i've delegated everything off my plate i don't do anything else i don't do administrative i don't do households i don't do anything except research right travel teach that's it Okay, let's change tack quickly here. Coronavirus came, three months lockdown, all the stories that you've heard, we know, the propaganda on the news, the, the, the truth, the lies, the conspiracy theories, the Illuminati, the 5G, the everything, yeah? It, we've, we've, we've had a lot of that going on over the course of recent time and, and our good friend Brian Rose has uh, spent a lot of time with David Icke recently and uh, calls himself a bit of a stir. He was on his show recently. Yeah, too. I know, yeah, I know, I saw. <laughs> I know, Brian, I know I'm good friends with Rob Moore as well, so uh, you were with him not long ago too. And so we, we, we're seeing a lot of that kind of stuff going on at the moment, this kind of like propaganda around that. But what's interesting for me is there's a lot of people out there that go to work every day that are kind of uh, 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 almost, they go to work and they live their life automatically. They, they, they exist. They don't live. They exist. And 40 million people in the United States were made redundant recently. They lost their jobs. And for a lot of us in the world, that's like, wow, that's staggering because if you add the numbers up, whether that's India, the UK, Germany, this is, these are just ca- huge numbers. But for me, it's like, how many of those 40 million lost a job they loved? And how many of those lost a job they needed? And the ones that lost a job they love, I don't have statistics on, but would it be interesting to know out of 40 million that 4 million lost a job they love, okay? And 36 million lost a job they didn't really love in the first place. Because to me, that now means opportunity to go and pursue something that matters. St. Corona... Is we're going to look back at St. Corona and say thank you. I guarantee it. Because in New Delhi, you could see the mountains for the first time in 35 years. Yeah. In Los Angeles, in the first, in the last 25 years, the best air they've had. There are people that are now saving and making habit of it. 
and investing and living more conservative and thinking about prioritizing what they're doing and not just filling up their house with stuff. There are people now that are actually having to focus online, make it more efficient, care about their customer. There is tremendous opportunities that are going on right now. I have received thousands of upsides of Corona. And I know people go, well, we focus on all the downsides. I don't focus on one side or the other. I don't pay attention to mass media. I'm interested in master media, the things that are, you master your life with. I'm not interested in the sensationalism that sells to the impulse buyer and the impulse person, the impulse of, and the instincts of fear and, and, and that greed and stuff. I'm interested in a long-term mission of making a difference in people's lives. And so I'm focused on that. So I'm researching and filling my mind with that information that has stood the test of time and going out of my way and serving. This is an opportunity for us to prioritize what our life is, to get back on what's authentic, to make a difference in people's life, to really serve people, not speculate, and to get on and actually build a cushion of investments that actually grow. This is not a downtime. This is an opportunity time. And so I'm a firm believer in using whatever happens on the way, not in the way. And the, the greatest question a person can ask on a daily basis, no matter what's happened in my life, whether supportive or challenging, how is it helping me fulfill my mission in life? If you ask that every day and don't go to bed until that's clear, you'll have nothing in the way. You'll have everything on the way. That's just such a brilliant question, isn't it? If you ask yourself that, that's epic, that is. Getting to the end of every day and asking that question. I love that. I've been doing those seven questions. I've, I've been asking that. In my Breakthrough Experience program, which is my signature program I've done 1,100 times, I ask that question. I blow people's mind. They go, they, they wanting to run their story and be victims of history. And this happened to me. And this is it. And they came up with excuses. And, they, and I said, stop the friggin' story. Stop it. Let's stop the story. You want to go to a therapist? Go tell them the story. This is breakthrough. There's no stories here. There's changing history here. We're going to change his, his story. We're going to go in there and find out what's really priority to you. We're going to now focus on that. And we're going to ask whatever's happened in your life. Okay, you've had this happen. You got beaten. You got taken. You, got, you lost your money. You got raped. You got it. Whatever's happened in your life, instead of writing the story and becoming dwelling on the what didn't work, how is it helping you get your dream? And I've made people accountable to find out how whatever's happened in life, how's it helped them get what they want? And until their point in tears, and they realize I never asked that question. And your quality of your life is based on the quality of the questions you're asking. If you don't ask the question to see how life is on the way, you're going to see it in the way. And you're going to be a victim of history, not a master of destiny. So that's a very important thing to be able to do because entrepreneurs ask, they see things as feedback. They don't see things as failure. They see feedback. They're not addicted to fantasies of success. They're going on it. I'm not interested in success. Success is a, almost a term that makes sure that you depurpose de yourself. And failure is a repurposing yourself. I see neither one of those in my mission. My mission is down the center. And I use both of those as times when I'm proud or shamed to humble myself and to lift myself to get me back on being myself. Because when I'm really my myself, I'm now on my mission. But if I'm puffing myself up and I think I'm successful, I'm already on my way down. I'm humbling. I'm, a, I'm about to attract humbling circumstances. I'm not here for success. I'm not here for happiness. I'm not here for elation. I'm here for a mission of equitable exchange between self and other. And when I do that, the doors of opportunity continue to open up. And there's no limit on what I can do if I care enough about more people. You are just one of the most incredible human beings that I know. And I'm really glad that I've had a chance to talk to you. <laughs> a couple of last questions before I finish. I'm sure you've got other things to do. Okay, number one, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? And who gave it you? The magnificence of who you are 
is far greater than any fantasies you'll impose on yourself. The magnificence of who you are is far greater than any fantasies you'll impose on yourself. Instead of trying to be somebody you're not, be yourself. Instead of being second at somebody else, be first at being you. The best advice I think I got, I was hitchhiking when I was 14 years old from Houston, Texas to California. This is 1968. I get stuck in El Paso, Texas. There was no freeway. I had to go right through the downtown with a surfboard and a duffel bag and a head, headband and some, some uh, sandals on as a 1968 hippie kid. I'm 14 years old at the time. And I'm hitchhiking through and I get stopped in the road right downtown in the street with three cowboys who are going to attack me because I'm a long-haired hippie surfer. And they didn't like them in cowboy, cowboy land. <laughs> and I didn't know what to do. These guys are confronting me. And all of a sudden, I realize I'm about to have a fight. I can't outrun them with my surfboard. I can't go in the street. I can't go in the shops. I can't outrun them. So I start growling and barking and acting like a wild animal. That's the only thing I could think of. I started growling at these guys. These guys were not expecting. They thought, man, that guy must be on drugs or something. And, and they moved aside and they were freaking out by it. And I walked right through them. 14, they were 20, 21 maybe. And I came past them growling at them and keeping in mind, make sure they didn't attack me from behind. There was a guy leaning on a lamppost, laughing his butt off, who just saw what happened. And he was laughing. He's, and he came up to me and he put his arm on my shoulder and he says, that was the funniest damn thing I've ever seen in my life. You took care of them cowpokes like a pro. Can I buy you a cup of coffee? I said, no, sir, I don't drink coffee. Can I buy you a Coca-Cola? He said, yes, I'll have a cup. He took me to a malt shop two blocks away, put our stuff inside, and we just had a conversation there at the malt shop. This old guy. He said, you're through with your Coke. And I said, yes, sir. He said, I want to teach you something, young man. I'd like you to follow me. I'd like to teach you. And I was a little hesitant about it because I didn't know, you know, what this guy was about. I followed him down two blocks, up another two blocks, up the steps at a downtown El Paso library. He took me to a library. And he asked if I was a runaway when I was at the malt shop. I said, well, I'm hitchhiking to California. He took me to the library. The information booth, we put all my stuff there, a little lady there. Walked in, down some steps, up some steps, sat down at a table, said, son, sit here. Went off to the bookshelves, came back with two books. Sat them on the table. Big books. He sat catty-cornered to me on the corner of the table, and he looked at me directly. And he leaned forward, and he said, young man, there's two things I want to teach you. You have to promise me you'll never forget this. These two things. I said, yes, sir. Number one is never judge a book by its cover because it will fool you. You probably think I'm some old guy on the street, some old bum on the street. But young man, I'm one of the wealthiest men in the world. I have everything that money can buy. I've got planes and businesses and cars and homes. I've got everything that you can buy with money. So don't ever judge a book by its cover because it will fool you. And then he took my right hand and he stuck them on top of those two books. And it was Plato and Aristotle. And he said, young man, you learn how to read. Because there's only two things they can never take away from you in your life. That is your love and wisdom. So you read and you gain the wisdom of love and the love of wisdom, boy. See, they can take away your possessions, their loved ones. They can take away everything but your love and wisdom. You gain that, boy. You learn how to read. 
You gain the wisdom of love and the love of wisdom. Now you promised me, don't ever forget that young man. I said, yes, sir. He put those books on the shelf. He took me outside, he geared me up, said, that's where California is, go. But don't you ever forget what I told you. I later found out that was Howard Hughes. No way. Howard Hughes. I ended up with Natalie Hughes. It was a long story. I don't want to have to take time for that. Turned out to be Howard. I looked it up and I found out he was doing an El Paso natural deal, El Paso natural gas deal for a brewery in Austin, Texas at the time. He happened to be on that street corner at that moment to say something that was very important to my life. And today I have cufflinks that say love and wisdom. And all of my work that I do is for helping people open their heart and gain wisdom in their life. So that man had an impact on my life at age 14. And my work today is still to that end. So yeah, one person can make a difference. That's what I intend to do when I go and talk to make that difference with somebody else, to help them find out what's really important to them and to set sail as captain of their fate, captain of their ship, master of their fate, and not let the world on the outside interfere with the dream on the inside. Because I'm absolutely certain that no matter what you've been through, what you've gone through, what you're going through right now is insignificant compared to what your heart and soul can call you to do that can transcend it. There's nothing your mortal body can experience your mortal soul can't transcend and can't use for an opportunity. So knowing how to take that and ask the right questions to see those opportunities and prioritize your life and live by priority and serve people doing it, which gives deep meaning because money without meaning leads to debauchery, but money with meaning leads to philanthropy. And the love and the wisdom of contributing to the thing is one of the most fulfilling things a human being can do. And so people ask me, why do I do what I do? That's it right there. Wow. Again, mind blown. So honored. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Sorry, Dr. John D. Martini. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You've got no idea how grateful I am for you to share your time with us today. No, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for helping me reach more people with the, my mission. I appreciate that.